Welcome back to episode 60 of Insects for Fun. I wonder what we should do for episode 100. I've also been thinking about adding other arthropods into the mix. What do y'all think? Let me know in the comments section, either on Instagram, Facebook, or in your podcast player. Also, when this episode is released, I'll be on a flight back to Japan from the States. So I'm currently writing this weeks in advance. And recently, we've had some moon viewing stuff going on in Japan called Tsukimi. Tsuki as in moon and me as in like miru to see. And I figure what better time than to talk about one of my favorite moths, the Luna moth. Lunas are in the giant silk moth family Saturniidae. And the genus is Actius. There are actually quite a few species of moon moths in this genus, but not all of them are green like the well-known Luna. Fortunately, in Japan, the two different species we have are quite similar to the Luna, and I'll be trying my hand at raising one of them next summer. Actius Luna have large and gorgeous pastel green wings, with big fluffy white bodies, and one eye mark on each wing. The wingspan can reach 5 inches across, and they also have really long tails, which only further adds to their celestial appearance. The name Luna is actually in reference to the Roman moon goddess Luna. But this was not always their name. The initial name for these was actually Plumata caudata, which translates to feather tail. And these moths were the first American giant silk moths to be documented in literature. The name was later changed by Linnaeus in 1758. There are actually quite a few giant silk moths with mythological names, like Polyphemus, Prometheus, and Atlas, for example but the majority of them are brown or a variation of it. The Luna Moth can only be found in North America, and not even the entire continent either. These moths chose a side, and thankfully for me, it was the East. You can find Lunas from Canada down to Florida, but they stay east of the Great Plains, and in Canada, they're found from Southern Saskatchewan to Nova Scotia. I'll never forget the first time I saw one and thankfully finding them doesn't seem to be all that difficult, if you know where to go. Luna moths are quite partial to forested areas, but what kind of plants they eat is dependent on their geographical location. For example, caterpillars we have in Vermont love eating birch, but I've also been successful at raising them on black walnut. Other common hosts include butternut, sumac, sweet gum in the south, alder, beech, wild cherry, and even persimmon. The time of year to find adult moths also varies heavily by location. And this is because warmer weather allows them to have multiple breeding seasons, unlike the northern populations. In northern Vermont, we have one generation a year, and our lunas start coming out of their cocoons in late May. In the south, it's not uncommon to have two or three generations in a year, depending on the state. Massachusetts, for example, is right under Vermont, but can have a partial second generation. And I personally experienced this, and uh, it was not exactly the surprise I wanted because I was also starting my next semester of university and trying to raise giant silk moths while starting a semester at university is not exactly ideal. Now, moving on, the caterpillars are also an incredible green and they can get pretty big. The fifth and last molt reaches a size up to 3 inches, or 7.5 centimeters, and has red dots sprinkled over its back. What's unique to these compared to other giant silk moths is that the entire caterpillar actually turns red right before it begins making a cocoon. At least, that's been my experience, 
but I've also read that some of them turn brown or orange as well. But it's not the color or the ability to change colors that makes Luna moths interesting, or the moths in the genus Acteus. It's actually the tails on their wings that have attracted the most attention. Some species in the genus Acteus have tails on their wings that reach 12 centimeters in length, and that's just the tail section. I can't tell you these are the only moths with long tails on their wings, but I can definitely say they are one of a handful. And the reason they have these tails is to protect them from bat attacks. Bats rely on echolocation to find their prey. And it's one of the reasons why they fly in close quarters to people fishing in the evening. The sounds bouncing off the water from lures being whipped draws them in, which can be intimidating, I gotta say. And the tails on moon moths disrupt the airwaves in a way that also confuses bats into missing the body of the moths entirely. In fact, studies found that brown bats are near 50% more successful at hunting lunas when their tails are missing. The tails on these moths are never straight either. At the very base of the tail, the wing has a slight curve, which catches air in a way that changes the source location of their sound. For example, a moth with no tails is essentially a flying target because the sound originates directly from the body, but a moth with tails has its sound pointing further below the main body. Some people had previously questioned whether the tails were used for attracting a mate, but I'ma be real with you, these moths could not care less about what their partner looks like. Some of them are so blind that they try to mate with anything. And that brings me to my second point. The female Luna moths, like all Saturniidae, release a pheromone to lure males, and half the time they aren't even looking in the direction of where males are flying from. The males have to initiate everything after the female starts calling, so whether or not she lays fertile eggs is dependent on the health or age of the male, as well as how closely related they are. Generally speaking, the moths have different times of day when they start flying, based on gender which is a form of control against inbreeding. Some males won't even recognize their siblings' pheromones. Now, because Luna moths are relatively famous as far as insects go, there are cultural and spiritual meanings tied to the moth. One super simple one is transformation and rebirth, but that's kind of like a cop-out meaning given to any insect with relevance that has multiple life stages, so we aren't gonna focus too much on that. The other meanings, though, have more to do specifically with the Luna Moth, like inner guidance and intuition. I don't know much about chakra, but I guess a soft green color is supposed to represent the heart chakra and is connected to our ability to connect to our inner wisdom and instincts. The other meaning which I really like is divine femininity. Its gentle temperament and grace links to compassion and intuition often associated with a woman's instinct. In some Native American folklore, the Luna Moth is associated with rebirth and spiritual guidance. Now, I really like the spiritual guidance part. And similarly, in Celtic mythology, the Luna Moth is associated with the Fae. And if you don't know what the Fae is, it's essentially mystical creatures in Ireland and the UK. The Fae are also like fairies, just mischievous beings that are somewhat paranormal. It really does seem that throughout the world and history, these moths have held a special place in the eyes of those who see it. And I'm personally no different. If you would like to raise Luna moths, it is totally possible to get eggs or cocoons, especially if you live in the United States. But people can order eggs and cocoons from the US and other countries as well. 
you just have to be mindful of the host plants you have around. If you simply Google Lunamoth eggs or cocoons for sale, you'll find many different people willing to sell and ship you these. They're also sometimes used in elementary schools as a fun classroom pet to showcase metamorphosis. If you want the cocoons to stay dormant during the winter, it's important that you make sure the insects came from natural conditions. The amount of light they received as a caterpillar dictates whether or not they're going to die a pause or sleep during the colder months. And it's also important that you leave the cocoons outside. They need to stay synced to the natural temperatures and humidity of their environment. Some people put them in the fridge, but if you do this, the container needs to be airtight because they will 100% dry out and die otherwise. They don't require much oxygen at all while they're in this state of sleep. But if you're concerned, you can open the container and give them a slight misting before putting them back in the fridge. Too much water and they will suffocate or get moldy. Also, if you live in a colder climate, I definitely recommend finding a vendor who lives in a similar place. You don't want cocoons from the south coming out early on you. This concludes today's episode on Luna Moths. I may come to this topic again in the future when I have more time on my hands, but for now, hopefully this is enough. Thank you as always for listening, and if you want to support the show, you can rate it and leave a review. Or if you need more insects for fun content or want to further support me and the podcast, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash insects for fun to get bonus episodes, ad free episodes, vlogs, and some new things I'll be working on as well. The links to the Instagram, Facebook page, as well as the Patreon are in the show notes. And you can send me an email at insectsfordummies at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and you'll hear from me again next week.